Well, good morning again. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5. It's our last installment of a series called Thriving in the New Normal. How in the world do we thrive rather than just survive? And what we've learned so far are four principles that we've extracted out of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Is Number one, if y'all remember, you have to experience a legitimate conversion. Not just a tip of your hat to Jesus, not just to say, I believe in God. It's an actual life transformation where Jesus comes into your life and rescues you from an eternity apart from him. And then you are restored, renewed, and you're being renewed. When you know Christ, things change. Then we moved into the second installment where we saw the Apostle Paul who writes the book of 1 Thessalonians. And when he was in Thessalonica, previously before that, he had experienced extreme trauma because of his faith, but yet continued to share the gospel. And in those moments in Thessalonica, he experienced more trauma, yet God used it. And the thing is, so many times trauma begins to hold us back, and every person experienced some form of it in their life. Agreed? Now, here's the deal, though. Through the gospel and through the community of faith, he began to heal through that, and God continued to use him. And so we learned about commitment and compassion. And then we turned the page a little bit, and we learned about thriving means we have to develop certain characteristics or certain spiritual disciplines that we put in place in order to, to grow spiritually. We're meant for growth in everything that we do. We grow biologically. Hopefully we're growing mentally and we're maturing emotionally. But spiritually is one of those things we put on the side. But here's the deal. That's the most important one. And then last week we learned about how to experience calm in the midst of chaos. And we looked at end times and how that affects us and how we need to be looking forward to it and some really biblical truths and hopefully kicked out some folklore, some myths. This morning we come to the end. And here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you a list of rules, all right? And if you know me and you know this church, we preach grace, meaning you don't need to straighten yourself up before you come to know Jesus. He wants you dirty, mangled, and messed up, and he changes you. And so many of us, we replace the gospel with rules because that's what we've been taught. We learned early on that religion is all about do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that. But the thing is, it's by grace you have been saved, not through what you do or don't do. But the thing is, in order to maintain a thriving mentality, there are certain things we're called to do. It's not necessarily something he's going to hold against you. It's not going to keep you from heaven. But it does change the trajectory of the Christian's life when we choose to say, you know what, I would rather not do what God wants me to do. It's, a, it's, it's the consequences of those bad mis decisions and bad mistakes. And so we're going to look at the entirety of chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to see a list of imperatives that he gives. And we're going to rattle them off, man. So I want you to listen fast. I'm going to talk fast. Write them down. Take a picture of the screen. Whatever you got to do. But these are what I call habitudes that we put in place in our life in order to grow. Now, here's the thing. I say habitudes because they are habits that we need to have and attitudes we need to have. We marry them together. We got habitudes. Y'all with me on that? And so we want to develop some of these in our life. This is, going, this is really the exclamation point on your spiritual journey because it begins with Jesus and then it ends with choosing to honor Jesus and when we go to heaven it's all Jesus make sense so all these things are important for us to begin to grab hold of now I want to begin by taking a survey and here are the three questions and I'm going to give you a moment to answer them in just a second but I want you to let them sink in which one of these statements don't raise your hand yet okay if you're online put it in the comment bar but here's the deal which one of these three statements we're going to go over them again best define you okay 
rules are meant to be followed. That's the first one. The second one, rules are more like guidelines. And here's the third one, rules are meant to be broken. All right? Now, hopefully you're identified with one of those. I know which one I identify with, all right? So here's the deal. How many of you kind of resonate with the idea that rules are meant to be followed? Raise your hand. All right, there's a lot of you in here. I, I could guess some of you. Yep, that's you. Second one, we're going to Pirates of the Caribbean here, all right? Rules are more like guidelines. How many of you are rules are more like guidelines? All right. Now, how many of you in the room are rules are meant to be broken? Go ahead and raise your hand. That's your pastor, all right? Okay, here's the deal. Rules can be a burden, but they also can be a guideline. They also can be meant for us to move forward. And really, these are, if you can imagine when you were a kid or maybe you've taken a kid to the bowling alley and you've got to throw a strike, but you kept putting it in the, in the gutter. Y'all have done that before? And so you go and, and they put these bumpers inside of the gutter to where it won't go in. This is the bumpers, all right? That's what rules are for. For you and I to continue on the trajectory that God is going to bless the most. But here is the problem here. Because we either are ridiculously out of touch or we make mistakes intentionally, we get off track. Let me show you a picture that best defines this. Stupid choices get you stupid prizes. Agreed? Is this your life sometimes? I mean, come on, let's be real, people. How many of us knowingly, you know this is not going to end well, all right? These are your rules are meant to be broken, people. You know this is not God's plan for your life, but you go and wake the sleeping lion here, and then everything gets spun off into chaos. How many of you have woken the sleeping lion on purpose, and you knew that it was a bad idea? How many of you have done it by accident, and you realize that was really stupid? All right, all of us, everybody should be raising your hand or giving a thumbs up in the comment bar. Every one of us. Here's the thing. The biggest reason you're not thriving, thriving, is because we're not trying to. Let me say that again. The biggest reason we don't thrive spiritually is because we do the polar opposite of what God wants us to do or we neglect doing anything. God puts these things in place not to burden us, but that so that we are successful and we thrive. And this goes, every, this, 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 this goes across the gauntlet here. It's not just the, the big three or four sins that we think of. This goes from everything from murder to cheating on your taxes, all right? It's everything. They're all forms of idolatry anyway. So how in the world do we begin to develop these habitudes? And more specifically, what are some of these habitudes? Now, we're going to start in chapter 5, but we're going to go to verse 8. We did this last week. That whole section from chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, deals with end times. I'm not going to read it again, but here's the first habitude we need to put into place here. Notice what happens in verse 8. But since we belong to that day, be, let us be sober, putting on faith, love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, this is not about alcohol, all right? But I want you to notice this. But since we belong to that day, meaning when Jesus comes back, since you belong to him, be sober-minded, be alert, be hopeful. Let me say it another way. Look forward to it. And the habitude we need to put into place is a really simple one. God calls you to be homesick. God calls you to be homesick. Now, let me help, us, help you understand what I mean by that. The homesickness means if you've ever sat around and thought there's something more, 
as a believer in Christ or someone who's investigating it, the answer is there is something more. If you ever try to figure out, hey, I've got to find satisfaction or contentment somewhere, well, the reality is we're not going to find it here totally. If we've ever tried to think, hey, this person will fill my needs, and then six months later, you hate that person, then the reality is we're looking in the wrong places. God calls us to develop a homesickness. And when we truly grasp the weight of eternity and begin to think through the blessing it is, I love that song we, we sang a few minutes ago, don't you? And I love that little phrase, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. You know, I'm not big into repeating the same phrase over and over again, but sometimes we need to repeat it over and over again and put it on replay in our brain cells to remind us that when you walk out of these doors and you encounter the things that make you homesick, saying there's got to be something better, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. Y'all with me? So are you homesick? I think I, in the prayer, I said 16 years ago, my wife and uh, our 18-month-old sat in the... Um, spare bedroom of a family i can't even remember their name now in brandon mississippi and we watched as the hurricane just completely decimated the communities and the community we lived in around the new orleans area and as we came home we drove right past our neighborhood and there was a patch of woods or forest there that had completely obliterated it turned what was these gigantic pine trees into basically matchsticks and toothpicks we were thought the worst we entered into our neighborhood turned down our street and there our house was and the only thing thankfully had happened was a knocked over trash can we were very blessed but just a street over there was nothing and for the next six months we welcomed friends from the city of New Orleans to come into our house we looked on satellite photos of where their apartment was seeing the top of their pickup truck submerged underwater we gutted homes and saw families completely spread from Houston to Atlanta looking for a new home we saw things that would blow your mind and what I realized in those moments is that I have to have some form of homesickness because everything can be wiped away in a moment there's got to be more the habitude to thrive comes to this place is when you're looking at the crazy around us there's something more guys be sober, be alert, and recognize there is so much better out there. And it's not out in this world. It's with Jesus. It's longing for that, but let's, let's skip down a little ways. I want you to go to verse 11. Now, this is used twice in the previous chapters. But he says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact, you are doing. And what do we mean by that? And let's skip down to verse 14. We're going to see kind of a simpler phrase there. It says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, and encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Now, that is a challenge, that last phrase right there, be patient with everyone, right? Because, man, if anything frustrates us more, it's not dealing with hurricanes or what we see on the news. It's the people around us. Agreed? But here's the point. When we grab hold of verse 11, and if you go to chapter 4 and look at verse 18, it says the same phrase, therefore let us encourage one another. And then we put that together for verse 14. Here's the habitude we need to develop. Not only do we need to be homesick, we need to have a sibling love. A sibling love. Now what does that mean? Love the people in the body of Christ. Are they going to frustrate you? Yes. 100% yes. 
I made up this passage of scripture where two or more are gathered, somebody's going to get mad. <laughs> right? Somebody's going to get frustrated. So here's the thing. What Paul is speaking into the Thessalonians here is simply this, is that as you go through these difficult seasons, the love that you have for the body of Christ is going to be invaluable for you. The connection, listen to we don't preach these things to get involved in because necessarily we need you to be involved in volunteering and we need you to be in a small group or we need no here's the deal. Hear me on this. Yeah, we need volunteers. Don't get me wrong. We have a church full of kids. When you guys heard the phrase be fruitful and multiply, you lived it. All right? But here's the thing. We need each other. You need the body of Christ. I need the body of Christ. I need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. And with all of our different backgrounds and issues and the sphere of vulnerability, here's the point here. Connecting with other believers is imperative for you thriving in the new normal. Period. We need that. And developing a sibling love is important. Now, skip down a little bit. Let's go back to verse 12. I want you to notice what happens next. So we got this habitude of being homesick. We got this habitude of having a sibling love. And look, I got two younger siblings, and it was sometimes hard to demonstrate sibling love to them. All right? We frustrate each other. We know which buttons to push. I was the oldest. I would literally walk through the living room of my home. My brother would look at me and go, Ow, quit hitting me, Chip. And then I would get in trouble. That's what's upset, Right? Sibling love is hard. It's necessary. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, this is about those who serve in leadership at the church, specifically pastors, elders, ministers, staff members, that kind of stuff. And I feel really weird about talking about this because I'm one of them, okay? But here's, the, here's what we're going to extract from this. Because leadership in any form is hard, and because criticizing leadership in any form is easy, the body of Christ is called to do this, to build up and not tear down its leaders. To build up and not tear down its leaders. I, have, I'm, I am guilty of this. Because as, as loving as I try to be, I can be very critical. Have, can you guys? And it's kind of like you can have an after-church gripe session. Have y'all done that? Before, everybody, everybody you nod your head, yes. Okay. I mean, it's like, can you believe that song? What about what the preacher said? Did you see what happened in the nursery? Listen to me. Your leaders are doing the best they can. And they work hard. And there are three things that you can do as a church body to encourage your leadership. There's a couple things. Uh, I want to give you a, a few, and then we're going to move on. I, would I really I want to I ask this of you. Um, as we face challenging times in churches and as we're seeing scores of clergy quit serving in churches right now, um, pray for me. Man, I need your prayers bad. It is, it is an interesting time to be in ministry. Also, I would encourage you to pray for my family. One of the things I hear, and this is all personal. I'm just being honest with you because I'm just talking about me a little bit. Pray for my family. The thing I hear a lot is, uh, man, those preacher's kids. Let me tell you something, man. Being a parent is hard. Agreed, parents? Imagine being a parent where everybody's watching every move and watching your kids. That's hard. 
So pray for my kids. Pray for my wife. Pray for our elders, that God would give them wisdom. Pray for our staff, that God would move in them. And, and hear me on this. Every decision is made with a great intention of glorifying God and honoring the church. And serve together. Churches aren't meant to be served by its leaders, even though we are servant leaders. Churches are meant to serve together. And I encourage you to build up and not tear down. It doesn't happen here at River Hills. I'm so thankful. It doesn't happen much. <laughs> but it, I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. Now, flipping themes here, go to verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. That is so hard for me because I'm a justice guy, man. Man, somebody cuts me, I want to cut them deeper. Y'all with me on this? Oh, man. When I was, a, I'll never forget when I started to learn to drive. And uh, one of the things I had a hard time understanding, um, figuring out at first, I had to, I, I learned to drive with three on the tree. Y'all know what I'm talking about with that? Your gear stick is on your steering wheel. You know what I mean, right? And, I, and, and I'll never forget going out on a date with a girl, and I was like, kick, kick, kick. And she's like, what are you doing? And she'd never seen one before. But three on the tree. <clears throat> so it was hard for me to um, click, a, uh, click the bright, dim switch on my truck in order to, you know, to, to not blind the person that's coming down the road. But here's what I got in the habit of doing. If somebody didn't change their lights from uh, bright to dim, I'd be like, well, I'm going to bright you back. And then both of us are blind. That makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? And I'll never forget driving down the road with a friend of mine and somebody didn't turn their, their bright lights to dim and I was like, bright them back. And she's like, are you stupid? Both of us can't see then. <laughs> yeah, that is stupid. <laughs> And here's what we learn and we extract from verse 15. Grace before justice. Grace before justice. Before we get, salt, get, get frustrated with somebody, before we talk bad about somebody, before we want to get somebody back, before we want to grill somebody, show them the grace that you would want to be shown. Imagine if you applied that to your marriage, how much healthier your marriage would be. If you said, you know what, I'm going to show you grace. Imagine if you applied that to your parenting, to your peer relationships. If you said, oh, I want to show you grace before I show you what you deserve because if we're really honest with each other what we deserve spiritually is all bad but we get grace grace before justice now go to verse 16 and 18 I'm going to read the whole phrase here he gives three repetitive imperatives rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus here's the habitude joyful gratitude joyful gratitude being thankful in all things that's tough right how do you be thankful lord when there's a hurricane plowing down into our community right now how do we be thankful as we're watching the 24-hour news cycle how do we be thankful if we know about people or we're serving people who are dealing with this pandemic in some terrible ways how are we thankful for that but here's the deal. It all hinges on that phrase in the first one in verse 17. Joyful. Be joyful always. Do you see that? Verse 16. Rejoice. And then it bleeds over. Pray continually. And then it bleeds over to the natural application. Have gratitude. Listen to me. When we choose joy, because listen, we have more, we have just as many reasons to be angry and sad as we do to be joyful. Right? Oh, uh, Right? But here's the thing. We're choosing joy. We're sitting around thinking, when am I going to be happy again? When's things going to get to normal? 
when I can go to Target and not feel really weird about things, you know, when are things going to get better? Listen to me. We choose joy every day. Every day is a choice that we make. But that joy is nurtured through prayer. And the offspring of all of that is gratitude. It's the idea of joyful gratitude in everything that we do. Because many times we operate out of desperation and we never want to make a decision in desperation. Have y'all done that before? It didn't go well, right? When we choose to operate out of a fear or out of a desperation, not only is our joy lost, our gratitude's gone, and bad things happen. It's the monkey hitting the lion. We all watched in horror as the people in Afghanistan hung onto that plane and went up in the air and fell. That is a desperate decision. And in a spiritual context, we never want to get to that place. So we determine every morning, I'm going to choose joy. It may be hard, but I'm going to choose joy. And you can grieve in joy too. It's another sermon for another time. But it's joyful gratitude. And then we bleed over into this next part. Notice what happens. Let's go back to verse 17. Maybe one of the shortest verses in Scripture, other than Jesus wept, pray continually. Pray continually or pray without ceasing is what it literally means. Now, how do you do that? Because I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not going to go to school tomorrow. And as you walk down the hallway, and it's like, dear Lord, it's so good to be here today. How's it going? I mean, I'm glad you're, you know, you're not going to do that. You're probably not going to sit in your cubicle tomorrow and just start rambling out prayers because you're going to be that guy, and it ain't going to be cool. You know what I mean? But what does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind, everything is Jesus. You know, you don't have to sit down and get everything quiet and fold your hands and bow your head to pray. You can pray with your eyes wide open. In fact, I encourage you to do that because you see what you need to pray for. Have you ever thought about riding through the city and just saying, you know what, I want to pray for that, I want to pray for that? Or as you're looking at the news, hey, I'm going to pray for that, I'm going to pray for that. God hears what's in your brain. Pray it. Pray without ceasing. Let your life be a point of, of prayer in everything we do is that when we lose our train of thought, Jesus is the first thing up. Pray without ceasing. Then we move on a little bit more. It's the habitude of pray without ceasing, and here was the last one here. Going to verse 19. Notice what happens. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with content, contempt. Now, I want you to hear what's happening here. These are two negative imperatives. Basically, don't say that it's not of God. Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat someone so poorly to where they lose their fire. Encourage them. And then, do not treat everything with contempt, meaning don't think that God isn't moving just because it's not around you. You get what I'm saying? Now, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. What does this mean? Think before you feel. Let the habitude be, think before you feel. When the feelings override the thought, we're on that pathway of desperation. And what he's saying here is do not quench what the God is doing and do not look around at what God is doing, even if it makes you awkward with contempt. Instead, filter it through Scripture. And if it's good, pray into it, buy into it. And if it's not, reject it. You with me on that? And that means we're going to have to take the steps necessary to understand what God's Word says. You're going to have to find out what it means. You're going to have to dig into it. It's hard. 
but it's oh so good. But this seems like a lot of rules. This seems like a lot of stuff, easily habitudes that I've got to develop in my life in order to thrive. And at the end of the day, we preach grace. If you don't do these things, am I still going to make it to heaven? If you're going to fail at these things, am I still going to get there? Does God still love me? I want to give you a source of encouragement. This is how he ends this letter. Verse 23, may the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. We learned a couple weeks ago, sanctify means make you holy, make you right before the Lord. Sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he, what? Will do it. There's two things you extract from here, and these are things that we celebrate. Through these habitudes and through this trauma and through this pandemic and through the hurricane and through what you see on TV and through the new normal, God is growing you. And the second thing is, one day he will greet you. One day he will greet you. And that's your end goal. That's what you're looking forward to. That's what we're seeking. That is the cherry on top of everything. Is that as God grows us, we're confident as we go through this life, one day he'll greet us. But you've got to know Jesus. One of my favorite passages of scripture that Jesus talks about is the prodigal son. You've heard this before. As a son, he came up to his father and he looked at him and he said, Dad, give me, give me my inheritance now so that I can go and leave you. And, the, and basically he was telling, Dad, I wish you were dead. And so his father gave him his inheritance and the man went off and you heard about it he lived in wild living and he squandered his wealth to the point to where this good Jewish boy found himself broke eating the pods of the food that they fed the pigs in the midst of the pigsty and he came to his senses and said man I can go home and be a servant and be, for my dad and be better than this so he got himself up and he went home and the father saw him from a long way off he ran off his front porch which men in the ancient world did not run and he took off his gold ring to signify he was there that it was his son he gave him the best robe to give him a new identity he put sandals on his feet to give him a new walk and he said kill the fatted calf my son has come home why in the world would he let such a rebellious son come home he humiliated him he shamed him he wished he was dead he broke all the rules he let him come home because he loved him and from that day forward, I truly believe this. That young man did everything he could to follow the ways of his father. And hear me on this. In all of our rebellion, Christ calls us home, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And let the outpouring of our own lives, as we choose to thrive, as we choose joy and gratitude, as we choose to pray, as we choose all these things, be the outpouring of a changed heart that says, God, I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to be perfect. But Lord, Lord, I'll do the best I can to honor you because in doing these things, I know it's the best, best pathway for me. And so this morning, you may be here and you are not thriving. You may be here and you're struggling. You're having a hard time with some things. But here's the deal. I believe this word and I believe our God and I know our church wants you to thrive to come together to experience hope and, and really 
to follow a pathway that honor the Lord and see your life changed. We've always been a church that wants you to experience God at your own pace. But let's be real. If your pace is the same as it was 20 years ago, there's no pace there. Begin to take the steps to know the Lord by asking him to come into your life. You can knock that off on your Connect card or if you're online or if you're here, you can text the phrase, I need Jesus, to the number on the screen. But then the second step is to get connected to the body. Get involved in a life group. Hey, real simple ways you can text RH Life Group to that same number, 55498 RH Life Group. You can put it on your Connect card. Take those steps and begin to choose growth over stagnation. Choose hope over desperation. Choose joy over mourning. Let's pray together. Father, give us the strength to thrive. Lord, it's, it's a burdensome life. God, you say cast, cast the burdens of life on you. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would be all about casting, that we would be all about loving, that we would be all about following you. Lord, empower us to do that. And while some of us are here today and we've never taken those steps of faith to know Jesus, I pray, God, that they would take that step pray, God, that you would move in their lives. I pray, God, that you move in all of us and help us find the tenacity to follow you. Jesus, be glorified in us. Lord, we honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we begin and finish our time of worship this morning, I have a kind of a rough announcement to make in some ways. BJ's been with us for a year, him and his wife, Caitlin, here where she's at. And uh, Caitlin is, can I share everybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's about to have her second baby. And uh, so we're excited about that. But they live on the other side of Decula near the Mall of Georgia. Um, BJ is also into real estate, and it is booming and growing. And so at this point, what's best for their family is to step away from serving on staff for a while. And so uh, they're going to be going home, being a family, and choosing to thrive, which I totally bless that. I'm totally excited for them. We've been knowing about this for a while and that we walked through this process with them. And while we regret to see Caitlin, not so much BJ, <laughs> go, <clears throat> go, we also know uh, that this is their God's plan for them. And uh, we've had some ups and downs in this position. Uh, and uh, I want you to know that our elders have approved a full-time worship pastor position. And so that's something this church has never had. And so we're going to be taking those steps in the coming weeks to do that. We'll be sharing our plan with you uh, on September 12th. But this morning, as you see these guys and worship with them for the last time, uh, make sure you go up and tell them how wonderful they are, how much we appreciate them, and filling in a big hole for us in the last year.